Welcome to New England Taken to PKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kierset. Be sure to check out all the back episodes of the show at nhtalkradio.com, as well as all of our, the rest of our shows, including Beyond Politics. Matt Robeson from that show joins me in the second half of the episode today. Joined this week by Brandon Arnold. He's the executive vice president at the National Taxpayers Union. Talk about Build Back Better from a uh, not positive perspective, if I had to guess. How's it going? Uh, doing great, yes. And unfortunately, I don't have many positive things to say about the Build Back Better plan. Let's start off with what's the National Taxpayers Union? Union. What are some of the key things that your organization works towards? So we work for in, in, on behalf of uh, taxpayers. So taxpayers, uh, unlike virtually every interest group out there, whether it's doctors, attorneys, corporate America, everyone has a lobbyist in Washington and state capitals, but taxpayers don't. Uh, we try to be that lobbyist. We try to advocate for sound tax policy, for the proper treatment of taxpayers by the IRS and so forth. Um, and try to advocate for, for limited government that lets people do what people want to do without the heavy hand of government in their way. Now, I'm a center-right guy. I'm just going to throw that out there for anyone that's listening to this conversation is well aware of what way I might lean. I've had a whole bunch of uh, very left-wing guests the last several weeks, so it, it's nice to start getting some organizations that are on the other side of the aisle in the conversation. Um, but to start off with, I mean, can we agree at the, as, as a baseline that the um, – the healthcare cost system has problems, that the cost is really high and it's very difficult for people, especially in the lower income portion of the country, to be able to afford it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, healthcare costs are far outstripping inflation. We've been talking about inflation a lot this year because it's affecting all sorts of consumer goods. Incidentally, inflation in the healthcare sector has been a little bit lower than elsewhere. And that is primarily because people have utilized the healthcare system less out of fears of COVID, elective procedures and things like that have been down. But as we, fingers crossed, knock on wood, get past COVID, mm. what we're gonna see is a return to those high inflation numbers affecting virtually everything in the healthcare space, whether that's prescription drugs or visits to the doctor or what have you. So we need to enact some policies that get those costs down to make sure that people can afford, especially people at the lower end of the spectrum, of course, uh, that are struggling in this economy. We need to make sure that they can afford the care that they need. To start off with, so currently right now, the Build Back Better plan is being handled by Congress and manhandled by Congress and back and forth between all the branches of government to figure out what exactly it should and shouldn't do. This is kind of the last step, if I remember right, from the big bills that uh, have been holding up anything else getting done, whether it's the budget or the reconciliation bills. Build Back Better is the, the big milestone bill that uh, Biden promised to put forward when he was elected. Um, what exactly is it looking to address when it comes to... To healthcare costs? Yeah, it's a great question. And it has a number of components that pertain to healthcare. One thing is an expansion of the, the tax credits that were created under Obamacare so individuals can get health insurance that can't afford it otherwise. Uh, the concern that the way that this is structured, first of all, is that it would kind of pull people out of the employer-sponsored insurance program and put them into these individual markets. And I think over 2 million people would be affected in that manner. So they would be shifted off of their employer's plan into Obamacare exchanges. The other thing is this, these have rather lousy cost containment provisions. So the tax credits, they go to people that are making, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they can be inflationary because they're tied to the price of the insurance. So you give somebody 
some 50 bucks to buy something that costs 100, all of a sudden the price of that product, because the, the seller knows that you have that 50 bucks in your hand, moves up to, you know, to, to capture that additional amount. So what they need is, is cost containment uh, functions like, like greater competition, like premiums that, are, that don't just simply uh, float in the Obamacare exchanges that have better cost containment uh, provisions. So you don't have healthcare inflation, you don't have insurance companies, for instance, just taking these premium tax credit expansions and putting that in their back pocket. It needs to stay with the consumer. That's the big concern. The other one is, is on the prescription drug side. And here they're, they're claiming that they're lowering prescription drug prices. What they're actually doing is imposing uh, uh, price controls price controls that exist not only for federal programs, but also in the private sector. Price controls don't work, period. They don't work ever, anywhere. They've never worked, they never will work. And what they're gonna do here is, is probably wipe out generics in, 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 some, in some instances, wipe out generics because they lessen the, uh, the profitability of bringing generics to market. Generics are what provide competition in the prescription drug price and are the most effective thing at lowering costs. Now, when it comes to generics, so just that last point there, I'm not sure if I follow on that. I mean, it, it's I don't think right now they necessarily make very money, very much money off of producing those, but they do it to a very large scale right now. That's true. And, you know, there's more generics sold within Medicare Part D, the prescription drug benefit. There are more generics than name brand drugs because they're lower costs and they're effectively the same product. Uh, so, yeah, drug companies can make money off of those. And in, in fact, a lot of the brand name uh, manufacturers have moved into generic manufacturing as well. Uh, so there is money to be made, but when you start to, to, to control prices, you start to eliminate the profitability of generics. And so there's more, there's a greater likelihood that those generics aren't going to be brought to market. You're only going to have the name brand drug in certain categories, and therefore you're not going to have the price competition that has lowered costs and has, has really benefited um, uh, the healthcare industry. Yeah, it's this is a kind of the weird thing when it comes to trying to figure out what to do with prescription drugs because the United States is like the place when it comes to uh, uh, drugs being created, if, with, whether it's through the universities or the private industries across the country. And plus, they work together most of the time to some extent, for better or worse. But the um, I mean, basically, all that medical. Um, um, Invention basically, for the most part, comes from this country because of the free market nature of it and the money that these large companies can make. But it, it, what's always been a hard spot for me is to figure out, like, how do you work around that? Because the other countries where they do buy the drugs at such low cost, because once again, which is what Build Back Better is trying to do, is limit the cost structure that's coming with is. What's the alternative solution? Because uh, I, I don't really see it. I mean, does, does your organization have any better ideas when it comes to how that should be handled? Yeah, I mean, I think you need to preserve the, the, the profit motive. The profit motive, it's often uh, beaten up on by, by folks, particularly on the left side of the, the political <laughs> spectrum. But the profit motive is what has delivered so many great uh, inventions and innovation and is what, you know, you, you see people like Elon Musk and we can criticize Elon all day long, but there's a reason why he came to the United States, why he immigrated oh, yeah. to the United States to create innovative companies and fire rockets into space and create awesome cars and things like that. It's because we're the land of opportunity. We're the land of innovation. And that's the case again, whether it's rocket ships or prescription drugs or, or, or any other products that you can possibly think of. And I, I think we need to preserve our role there. And the way we do is, is, is having a, a better functioning healthcare system. 
um, that has you know the, the ability for people for drug companies to bring stuff to market to make a profit and then quickly as quickly as possible allow generics to jump into that space to make sure that people can get those those medications at an affordable price. Um, and but we can't I, 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 we can't obviously wait five years for five to ten years for some big transition to happen, especially when it comes to patients that require insulin on a regular basis. I mean that's basically the big thing that's been getting a lot of headlines. Is but what do we do? now because it's really horrible now yeah i mean i think we need to provide some public assistance to people that can't afford certain medications there's no question about that and and you know we we, we do spend hundreds of billions of dollars every year through medicaid through the uh, obamacare exchanges through, through other uh, programs to make sure uh, uh that that, that lower income americans and seniors have the drugs they need i think we need a fundamentally re- fundamentally restructure the manner in which we bring drugs to market mm-hmm. um you know it, it shouldn't cost billions of dollars to get a drug to market uh, due to bureaucratic delays. You know, one of the, the things we, we celebrated last year, of course, was the delivery of vaccines yeah. under Operation Warp Speed. My question is, why isn't FDA always moving at warp speed? Yeah. You know, there's there's literally lives at stake here. And it, it, it made sense in this context. We want to maintain all the safety protocols. We want to make sure that we're not putting unsafe drugs into people's bodies. But otherwise, you should have your, your the pedal to the metal when it comes to the drug approval and evaluation process whenever possible. Again, lives are at stake. Quality of life is at stake. Um, and and the, the, the healthcare bureaucracy that exists within this government is, is no friend of patients. Yeah, that's been the big uh, confusing thing when you see it on the Facebooks and the like is people always praise the, all these South American countries and Cuba and such for allowing these drugs to hit hit the market so quickly. But there's like zero safety protocols when it comes to any of that. So it, the ability – it was really a shocking revelation that, oh, the FDA can work really quickly to get something to market that – it, there's been there's a lot of question when it comes to exactly what side effects the vaccines have, especially in the long term. There's Joe Rogan's had, Dr. Peter McCullough, I think how you say his name, on the show this past week, which is a fascinating interview. But when you look at the just how effective the vaccine is stopping the hospitalizations is it's just incredible. I mean, to say what you will about the vaccine, like I I've got all three of the shots because I'm going to be traveling to California next month and I'm. I'm just going to be at a higher risk, and I want to take it back to my family. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I, I'm a pro-vaccine guy, and, and that doesn't mean we set aside any of these concerns by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. We, we need to evaluate all potential side effects. And, you know, when you look at the drug approval process, there's there's three phases to it. The, the first two phases are primarily oriented toward, um, toward safety, so those absolutely need to be preserved. The third phase is about efficacy, and efficacy is very important. We don't want to be spending money on drugs that uh, that don't work. Uh, but I think we can inject a little bit more consumer freedom into that question of, of efficacy, a little bit more of doctor opinion into that question of efficacy, uh, informed opinion, of course, um, and, and removing the government from that a little bit, especially when you have life or death situations. Yeah. You know, if somebody is literally on their deathbed and there's a drug that is shown to be safe that may may give them a fighting chance to spend more time with with their families. Uh, we shouldn't allow FDA delays. We sign liability waivers for everything else. We, we it's, this seems like the prime example of when a liability waiver to some extent might be a, a good idea, especially if you're dying of some disease that there may be something that 
would have been available mainstream in five years, but there's an experimental version of it now. Absolutely. And, and there are limited experimental uh, uh, provisions that exist within the approval process. I just think they need to be expanded. I think, again, we need to move faster. We need to reduce the cost of bringing drugs to market because that is ultimately what will lower the cost uh, of prescription drugs across the board. And, you know, we see so much about we focus so much attention on the drugs that are approved, but so many drugs that don't make it through the approval process, right. uh, we still pay for those costs. We pay for those costs of those drugs that failed through higher costs of the ones that were approved. And so if you have a, a better, more efficient process, I think it just it, it streamlines everything and, and reduces costs across the board. When it comes to general health care reform overall, like this, we both agreed at the beginning that the, the system is a big problem, especially when it comes to the, the price of getting anything done. I mean, is there a way of doing it in an incremental fashion? Because it seems like any little bit of incrementalism that's done with special build back better is just very quickly pushing more and more people into this, the, um, the, the, market, the single markets, and then it's going to lead to – um, basically single payer like very quickly if these uh, these acts keep getting through. I mean, is there a way of doing this one way or another in a slow fashion so we can actually make sure we're doing the right thing, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think the, the, the answer, it's, it's not a silver bullet, but I think the answer in a lot of regards is, is to put consumers in charge of their health care dollars. Right now, the majority of Americans get their health insurance from employer-sponsored plans. And the next biggest provider of health insurance is, is the federal government and state governments through Medicare and Medicaid. So you don't have as much consumer choice. You know, you, you turn on the TV and you may see during the course of a television show, five or six ads for all sorts of car insurance companies. How many ads did you see for uh, health insurance? Probably zero because they're not competing for your business. When you have Aetna and Blue Cross and uh you know, Kaiser and everybody competing for your dollars, then they start to cater more to your needs. They start to deliver healthcare products that are of interest to consumers. Right now there's insulation between your dollars and those insurance companies. And that's in the form of primarily of your employer and the form of the government and so forth. So I don't think consumer interests are being served as well as they ought to be. I think if you translate the employer sponsored health insurance tax benefits that exist, um, to the individual. So you provide, allow employers to provide that benefit in the form of a cash subsidy rather than, or cash payment rather than in the form of a health insurance benefit. Uh, then all of a sudden you could take those dollars and you decide what plan fits you and your family best rather than having the insurance company offer you one or, or maybe two or three plans at most. That sounds uh, a lot like just pushing more people to the individual markets that were established in the Affordable Care Act. Is that correct? It's pushing more people into individual markets. I think there are problems within the Obamacare individual markets in particular, uh, which is why you have, um, you know, in, in some parts of the country, you have very few. We had issues at the, initially with Obamacare with the individual market having no insurance companies operating right. within, within it because the, the, the regulations were so restrictive. Uh, they've actually made some reforms, but it's still in some cases you have one provider in those, in those exchanges. So you're not really providing much in the way of consumer choice. I think we need to have a greater variety of plans that are available. So you have more market participants, more competition, and therefore consumers um, are, are gonna benefit from that. 
Is there a state that you feel like is, is using, utilizing those markets in a better way than others? So like it seems like New Hampshire seems to be – it does have multiple providers uh, on their market. Uh, a regular, I have regular series with the New Hampshire Insurance Department, and uh, the services they provide are, are pretty good. I can't speak necessarily what the, in, the insurance coverage is that they uh, push people to, obviously. Uh, so I have employer coverage through, through my full-time job, but um, – is there an example that's kind of leaning in the way you guys want to see? Uh, that's a really good question, and I'll, I'll have to, to dig into that much. I'm glad to hear that New Hampshire is providing a significant number of options, but I'll, I'd have to look and see at uh, exactly what states are, 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 are performing the best in that regard. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the ones in the past that have embraced healthcare reform, like Indiana, for instance, the Healthy Indiana plan that was implemented several years ago did a really good job of restructuring the Medicaid program. And we've seen other states follow suit with, with Medicaid waivers that provide additional options in the delivery of, of Medicaid benefits. And that has provided people with kind of like HSA's health savings accounts in which they're controlling their health care dollars, uh, particularly for out-of-pocket expenses. Um, so uh, I, I don't have a great answer to your, your question, but I think providing more states with latitude to come up with health delivery systems and compete and, and, and act as a laboratory of democracy, I think is certainly part of the answer here. Uh, obviously, a big issue with Build Back Better for many people on the right and uh, even towards the middle is the what you're seeing with Mansion, uh, Senator Mansion right now is the cost that's coming with this Build Back Better plan. I'm assuming you guys aren't on board with it. <laughs> That is correct. You know, it, it was really interesting to see they've been touting a, a, a small deficit impact of about $160 billion over a 10-year period because they employed all these budgetary gimmicks. They have things like the child tax credit, which is one of the most expensive portions of the entire plan. They structured it to only exist for a single year and then pretended as if it would disappear, even yeah. though it is. As soon as there's a benefit given to people, good luck getting rid of it. It's just not how exactly. politics works. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, that was pretty transparent. So um, what Lindsey Graham is the ranking Republican on the Senate Budget Committee asked was, let's make all these programs permanent and let's find out how much the bill costs if everything is, in fact, locked into law rather than pretending like it exists for a year or three years and then disappears. And when you do that, the, the hit to the national debt was $3 trillion over a 10-year period, $3 trillion, which is a staggering figure considering we're $29 trillion of debt already. Uh, it's even worse when you consider that we've spent you know, more than $5 trillion over the past two years to combat coronavirus. And I agreed with some of that spending. I disagreed with a lot of that spending, but none of it was paid for. Uh, it was all money that was put on the national credit card we're getting pretty close to maxing out that national credit card so we need to be a lot more cognizant about the way we spend taxpayer dollars and um i i think this bill is is very fiscally irresponsible in that regard yeah when those stimulus checks came out to everyone and i, I was just thinking like oh this is the money i already gave them thanks i guess <laughs> we'll take your money and give it back to you hey, yeah <laughs> It's it was really poorly crafted policy. That was one provision that I did not support at all. I, I, I do support, you know, when we, when coronavirus first hit, providing targeted relief, people that were unemployed, people that lost their health insurance, people whose businesses were completely upended because people stopped going there voluntarily or because in some instances, state and local authorities shut down their restaurant or, or place of business. So providing targeted stimulus makes sense just Dropping money at a, heli at a helicopters and airplanes uh, on the general public, I, I don't think helps. And in fact, 
we're dealing with this really bad inflation problem. And I think that's one of the areas, one of many areas, but certainly one of the culprits uh, has contributed to it. Brandon Arnold, Executive Vice President of the National Taxpayers Union. Get more from them at ntu.org. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, AJ. Really appreciate it. You're listening to New England Taken WKXL. We'll be right back after this.